You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little... Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to episode 15. Is it episode 15 now of the Northside Sox podcast? Uh, the Northside Sox podcast is a member of the Southside Sox podcast family. Uh, and today we have a very special guest joining us. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about the Royals. Uh, so I couldn't think of anyone better than my good friend, uh, Kevin O'Brien, uh, AKA the Royals reporter. Uh, he's an educator, coach, advocate, and he's been running his own blog covering the Royals and has contributed to sites uh, like Pitcher List. Uh, so uh, yeah, his website is the, the Royals report, RoyalsReporter.com. Anyway, uh, Kevin, how the heck are you? I'm doing well. It's been kind of a crazy uh, couple of weeks for me, not just because of Royals baseball, but also just personal ends as well. Um, I'm just accepted a new job to be a principal at a school. Uh, oh, for congratulations. Oh, thank you. So, congratulations. It's excellent. Yeah, I'm very excited to get started, but it's also that all that with the end of the year has definitely made things challenging with trying to foul the bad since they've lost eight in a row so uh, hopefully we they can turn it around soon cool so yeah uh, sam and i uh come from an education background as well uh so oh yeah i should probably introduce who we are i'm janice scurrio uh, with me as always is my wonderful co-host uh, sam sherman and uh yeah we're going to uh, get into some fun questions about you about the royals uh, we're terribly sorry for that past series, uh, but I'm, I'm sure that maybe this weekend uh, the Royals will find some way to pay us back for all of that. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, tell us a little about a little bit about you. Uh, when did you start the, the Royals Report, and what got you into writing? Yeah, so I started the Royals Reporter 
roughly around 2018. Well, there was an earlier version of it in 2018. Um, I initially called it the Roto Royal. Uh, I wanted to do like a fantasy baseball and a Royals blog. And then I realized that was just stupid. Like, why am I doing two things? And then so I decided just to focus only on the Royals instead of doing the fantasy baseball aspect. Um, you know, I've been writing. I was a journalism, journalism minor in college at Gonzaga University. So I covered the Gonzaga, you know, basketball teams, you know, some baseball teams, some writing. So writing has always been something I've enjoyed. Um, uh, Royals, the Royals reporter really kind of took off more in 2019 and, and then in 2020 because of the pandemic, because I was like, hey, I need to do some writing. And um, and and really, I had a really strong passion for Royals baseball kind of around that time in 2019. Um, it really kind of helped me kind of love the city that I live in, in Kansas City, especially since I'm an outsider. And um, but, you know, I, this is actually like one of multiple projects I've done. You know, I used, I'm from Sacramento. I used to write a Giants blog back in the day when I graduated from college. I used to write for Bleacher Report back in the early days of Bleacher Report when they mm-hmm. basically exploited people for no money. Um, so to write. Um, so, um, yeah, we're very familiar with that business model. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then um, I, I used to actually write about European basketball like two years ago. I mm-hmm. Like a few years ago, I wrote about uh, the EuroLeague and, was on that Luka Doncic train when he was playing for Real Madrid and as a 17 year old. And so um, I feel a little bit uh, vindicated with Luka Doncic though, as a Sacramento Kings fan, it, it hurts me every day that <laughs> drafted Marvin Bagley over Luka Doncic. So. <laughs> uh, but that's kind of how I, I came to the Royals report. Cause I love baseball. Um, I love uh, baseball analytics and fantasy baseball. And, and I just love, um, love the Royals and, um, you know, and so that's why I kind of created this blog to kind of kind of fuel that kind of interest that I have in the club and the organization. Very cool. Well, you're amongst friends here because uh, <laughs> we too discuss a lot about, uh, yeah, how much we both simultaneously love and also all of the pain that baseball gives us at the same time. Uh, so, yeah, you mentioned you're from Sacramento. Uh, how did you become a Royals fan? Well, you know, it's kind of funny because I think, you know, growing up, you know, I think you know, in Sacramento, it's kind of Giants territory. Uh, you know, they're, you know, the Sacramento Rivercats are the triple A team, though they used to be for the A's. So, and that was kind of a fun era with the A's. So like, that was like the Barry Zito and the Mark Mulder. Yeah. And, and so basically like you'd always see people in triple A, like go to, to Oakland. So there was a good A's following, but you know, even though I, I, I liked the Giants, my family's still Giants fans. Um, I always kind of had a rooting for the underdog kind of deal. And, um, I also one of the things I always loved was kind of Kauffman Stadium. I remember as a kid watching Griffey um, hit a home run into the fountains one time, like on ESPN, like Sunday Night Baseball. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, that stadium is so cool, like these fountains. And so I kind of grew with like some weird obsessions with the Royals, even when I was living in California. You know, I, like I don't really like 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 the Chiefs that much, though I don't really like NFL football, honestly, all that much. And mm-hmm. but for some reason, like the Royals were always some a team that I always paid attention to. Like if I played MVP baseball or high heat baseball at like back in like the early two thousands, like I always had like a franchise mode going with the Royals. And then kind of when I started working in the newspapers industry back in uh, in college with the spokesman review, one of my desk editors, he was a um he was actually a Royals fan. And so we actually kind of, um, I got, I learned more about the franchise and learned more about it. And even though I had no plans to move to Kansas city in college, (laughs) and by the time I did move to Kansas city, I was like, Hey, this team is one that I've been following. And I just really got into them because it was the first really city that I'd been in where like, I actually was close to a major league 
baseball team. You know, from Sacramento, it's like an hour and a half to two hours. You know, it's kind of a day, but it's like, hey, like I can be at a Royals game in 30 minutes. I can say, hey, you know, I'm going to go to a Royals game. And and that was something I always wanted is like be like live in the same city as a baseball franchise. That was really cool um, to do. And so that's kind of how I got into it even more when I moved here. Yeah. And geography like certainly matters to us. I lived in Austin, Texas for two years. And even though Austin has a minor league baseball team or or Round Rock does the Round Rock Express, I I think they're like the AAA affiliates of the Rangers. Uh, It's not the same. It's not the same. Uh, So uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely those fans who are left to drive three hours to Houston to watch their 2012 White Sox get demolished by the Astros. Like that's (laughs) (laughs) a true testament uh, of fandom. Uh, Kevin, I got to ask who, who were some of the early Royals that you kind of, uh, when you started becoming a fan or more interested in the Royals, who were some of those players that kind of, uh, stuck out to you? Cause my associations with Royals throughout my life is like, you know, whether it's Billy Butler or like, obviously Alex Gordon, who I will always fear will, you know, just, I, I know, I think he's retired now, correct? He's no longer an right. active. Yeah. I don't believe it. I think he'll be back. <laughs> but in any case, uh, or like Drew Butera, there's just like nightmare Royals over, you know, throughout my, my lifetime. But um, who were some of the ones that you really gravitated to when your fandom started to grow for, for Kansas City? Yeah, I think I, I really always loved obscure players, but there's also some kind of, um, you know, mainstream players that I really liked. Um, one guy I really loved was Jermaine Dye. Yes. As do we. Yeah, I, mean, I know. <laughs> he, was, like, he definitely helped the White Sox more. But, uh, but he, I think, you know, um, he is from Sacramento. Um, so, huh. like, and so he went to Consumnes River College, where when I played baseball in high school, we played games there all the time. And I thought that was kind of cool. Just this uh, Jermaine Dye was just kind of this this guy from Sacramento playing in Kansas City. Um, I really loved Beltran a lot, um, you know, when I was following the team. Like, I really loved a lot of, like, those Royals outfielders, like, at the time when they were, like, before they became bigger with bigger teams. So, like, oh, like, Johnny Damon before he became, like, a big deal with um, with the Red Sox and the Yankees. Like, and, um, you know, and David DeJesus and mm-hmm. just kind of these guys that were, like, wow, they're, like, really good players overall. And they're, like, really efficient. And they just, because they live in Kansas City, like, they don't. Uh, get a lot of love. Um, and, and so I think that was, I was always attracted to those kind of players. Um, but there was also sort of like a lot of random players I really like. Like I liked Ruben Gote because um, I went to like a spring training game once, like at surprise when I was like in high school and like Ruben Gote hit like the game winning home run in this meaningless spring training game against the Dodgers. I love that. I was like, <laughs> I was like, guys, this Ruben Gote guy, he's going to be the future. And, and <laughs> materialized so um but yes and then also like you know Granky, i think was always just a fascinating guy Mm -hmm. especially he was in that era where i think we're starting to appreciate pitchers for more than just wins right so kind of like with felix and lincecum like hey they're not winning 20 games but they're still really good pitchers and maybe we should appreciate these guys um and so i think uh granky was another guy that i was also really fascinated with um or in my early royals fandom so Speaking of uh, Jermaine Dye, really quick, did you ever see the uh, the, M- the Cribs MTV Cribs episode with Jermaine Dye? Oh my god, I did not know that existed. Yeah, it it sounds like it sounds made up, but uh, I, there was like one time I was watching. This was when I was like younger. I was watching um, Cribs, and like the second 
house that they highlighted was Jermaine Dye. And I was like, this is extremely random. <laughs> and like, <laughs> you know, it's a nice house and everything, but I was kind of like, he doesn't seem again, great baseball player, but like, does not seem like that's the, like, that's the one to high the, I don't know, but not again, you know, nice house. If you ever get the chance. <laughs> well, yeah. And Jermaine, Jermaine Dye is always interesting, right? Cause it seemed like his career kind of ended like really fast. Like I know it was, it was just kind of like he was, and he's like a free agent and, he was like, oh, I want to get paid. And then it, his career was just over. And I was like, I still never understood, like, why, like, Die never had a longer career than he did. Like, I just never got that. Yeah, I yeah. just remember that um, just when I was really young, there was one a year where he was on the A's. And, uh, yeah, the next year, yeah, he was on the White Sox, the, the, the 2005 White Sox. So that happened all very suddenly. Uh, back then, I wasn't, like, really paying, like, super close attention to, you know, free agency or players, like, looking for looking for, for a payday. Uh, I was just more so ignorant and just, like, enjoying players as they are. I, I, I kind of miss being like that. I do, but. too. <laughs> It seems, like, it seems like there's a lot of players who go from the Royals to the White Sox that have just like legendary like careers or outings. It's like like a cup of coffee with the Royal and he ends up becoming like World Series hero with like the with the White Sox. So that seems like to be a, a big trend of the Royals in the mid 2000s. Was like, hey, we're just getting them ready for the next level. Other than Mark Tian. Mark Tian's White Sox uh, career was <laughs> was not good. <laughs> oh my goodness! Mark Tian. Oh god, that was that's a name that still is brings <laughs> a lot of fun memories. That's a name I have not heard in many, many, many years. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, let's bring it back to uh, present day. Uh, so the Royals had a pretty strong April start. Uh, so you wrote an article uh, that I thought was great. You think that the White Sox and Royals are going to contend for the AL Central, uh, which I'm all here for. Like, I, I'm, I am definitely all here for that. Uh, so yeah, I, I wanted to know what your reasoning was. And also, too, do you think we should be worried about Minnesota and Cleveland? Maybe Detroit, but maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I wrote that article um you know, that was one of the big things this offseason. I remember in Mike Matheny's talks, uh, the Royals went one and nine against the White Sox. So the fact that we have one win, it's like, all we need is one more. And we're like, hey, we did better than 2020 uh, <laughs> against the White Sox. Um, but, you know, he was kind of like, hey, like, I think, like, I feel like they didn't see our best baseball. And I think the whole Larusa and um, Matheny thing was going to be really interesting. You know, I, I do think the White Sox obviously are a little bit more developed and um and obviously in a better state organization wise right now than the Royals but I I felt like the White Sox and Royals were both two teams kind of trending up right in the division and while I kind of felt with the Twins and the Indians were two teams kind of trending down with kind of the Indians kind of uh you know trading Lindor um letting go of Santana Mm -hmm. um the Twins kind of kind of letting go of Rosario and trying to say hey we're going to build within um so I, I kind of felt like, okay, the Royals are at least trying and the White Sox are trying. I think that's going to make this interesting. Um, you know, in the early season, it looked like that. I mean, in April, it looked like, hey, like these two teams are, are trending, are going to be competing. Um, and I also like, I'm always fascinated by the White Sox-Royals um, matchup. You know, I, I feel like it's kind of one of those like, is it a rivalry? Is it not? Like, I, I don't know. It, like a lot, like if you ask any White Sox or Royals fan, they'll say, no, they're not rivals, but it's like, well, they got like a lot of weird history together. It's like, there's a mm-hmm. lot of weird things that have happened between the White Sox and the Royals over the history that um, 
you think this would be a bigger matchup and then you have like the whole like Missouri, Illinois kind of whole like deals going on, though it's on the opposite opposite end of the state in Kansas City. So I, I just kind of thought like, hey, maybe this is the year the White Sox and the Royals kind of duke it out, especially with the Royals kind of having a chip on their shoulder to try to like to prove that that one in nine mark um, was a fluke. But um, I don't know. But right now it's like then you get swept and you lose all seven games on your homestand and then you have to reexamine <laughs> where you guys are in the division. So um, and so so I, I still think the White Sox and Royals are going to be really interesting. And I think it's a long season and I and I do wonder kind of how those, you know, those injury issues are going to affect the White Sox because of losing Robert and losing Jimenez. You know, how is that going to affect the club? And with the Royals having their own injury issues in the bullpen. Um, and so I still think there, it's going to be a, there, there is potential, but I do think, um, you know, there, there's definitely some of that luster lost after that kind of rough series in Kansas City over the past week. Yeah, I, I definitely, uh, I, I, I regret doing this, but I, I didn't really count in uh, the offseason the Royals had. Uh, so uh, y'all really added quite a bit. Uh, so y'all and, uh, added Benintendi, uh, Carlos Santana. Um, oh my goodness. You also have uh, two of our old friends, um, uh, Gerard Dyson, uh, Irvin Santana. Uh, so yeah, um, in your opinion, uh, so as of right now, uh, where are some areas of the roster that are pretty strong? Um, say, what do you th- what do you think are some early needs the team has in terms of roster depth? You know, I think you know the, the offense has been inconsistent, but I do think the offense is probably the best it's been in about a couple in a couple years. And I think some Royals fans have to realize it's like, hey, we've been playing Nicky Lopez who is, you know, I, I love Nicky Lopez. I know he's kind of a, a Naperville guy. So I, you know, I'm sure like he's got some local ties there. So. Yeah. We um, hear about it every broadcast. Like, Hey, do you, do you know where Nicky Lopez is from? So. Triples against the White Sox. I think every game that he plays, <laughs> he's a triples machine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's, and, 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 but you know, we've had to play him instead of Adalberto Mondesi, you mm-hmm. know, before Mondesi kind of got hurt, he was showing some kind of gains in spring training. He had a great end to 2020 once Mossy comes back to the lineup, I think the offense will kind of uh, boost a little bit. I think the defense will boost a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think some guys are going through struggles like Jorge Soler um, hasn't been hitting bombs like everybody expected. But I, but if you look at a lot of his hard hit rates and a lot of, you know, what, what he's doing in terms of exit velocity, he's really not that far off from last year. And I, and he's always tradition, traditionally been a slow starter. If you look, I think I wrote an article looking at his first couple of months in 2019, his record season and his April, his March, his April and May were pretty bad too. And so, um, though he did hit more homers than, but he, but there, but the other statistics were kind of very similar to 2021. Um, and, you know, I think Santana's really boosted the on-base percentage mm-hmm. of this lineup. And I, I think that was a big issue for this club. It's like, Hey, like, how can we not be out here? Like, you know, um, just swinging and missing all, all the time, which was kind of a problem, you know, back in from 2018 on. Um, so Santana has boosted it. Benintendi starting to show some signs of consistency. Um, wit is wit. Um Though some people like have brought up is like I think um, even though he is um, making contact more than ever, is, is it really quality contact? That's been an interesting kind of argument that some have talked about. So I think the offense is really strong as where it needs to be, um, especially compared to where it's been. One of the biggest concerns though has been the bullpen. Um, last year the bullpen was a strength of the Royals. They ranked eighth in Team ERA. 
Um, but they they really did not have really set roles last year, um, mostly because they had the Trevor Rosenthal trade, which kind of threw off their like their rotation. But you know, Greg Holland had a big year last year, and and I and I know that people were like, oh, we're gonna have Greg Holland as our closer, but I'm also like, yeah, Greg Holland's also two years off from like being released from the Diamondbacks in 2019. Like, we're like, <laughs> yes, he had a good year, but how sustainable is that? And we're starting to see that that wasn't sustainable. Um, we brought back Wade Davis for like nostalgia and Wade Davis has proven to be Colorado Rockies 2018 and 2019 um, or 2019, 2020 Wade Davis, not 2015 Wade Davis. Well, he still uh, thinks he's pitching at Coors. Is that- yes, <laughs> it, it, it feels that way. It, it does. And, um, and, you know, we had Kyle Zimmer who was starting to show some promise, you know, he hit the IL he's had a history of injury issues. Jesse Hahn has hit the IL because of injury issues and while Josh Stalmont, um has started to pick it up, he got COVID in the and during spring training, and cool. he, it took a while for him to get back his velocity. You know, his velocity is down, but a lot of that was contributed to, he said, that, you know, recovery from COVID. And he said, like, it took him a while to really become full strength. And and so you're, so I think the bullpen, which I think right now they're ranked like 24th or 25th in Team ERA, you know, that's really been a huge um, area of concern and, and there's really not like a lot of other options right now that they have available and it'll be really interesting to see what they do um, you know they try to move Jacob Junis to the bullpen to kind of boost things when they called up Lynch and Junis has been pretty bad in the bullpen to start off and so now people are like okay what where are we going to look for for help so I think that's the major concern I think for the Royals going forward. Um, circling back to, you you know, you mentioned Whit Merrifield, um, briefly before, are you surprised that, you know, it's kind of interesting because, you know, you, you know, the Royals, you mentioned earlier, uh, like the White Sox are, they're both teams kind of on their way up, right. Um, trending in that right direction. Um, but I'd say for the Royals, they're probably still in that process of accumulating that, you know, accumulating the, the young guys, all the talent, they have several young talented players, Merrifield while, while has been a thorn in. Um, certainly at the very least the AL central side and really just been a really damn solid player for the last several years. I know he started playing the, in the majors around maybe 27 or 28. So a little bit later, relatively speaking, started his career. Um, are you, so it's all to say, are you, are you surprised at all that they didn't, uh, that they didn't flip him maybe last season? Or I know people were a little bit hesitant to make trades in the, in the 60 game season. Um, but he just seems like a guy where every, Last couple seasons, every trade deadline, his name gets thrown around. You know, I think that's a a beauty and a curse of like, or a benefit of a curse. I, I don't know which the proper phrase, but it's like above of our general manager, Dayton Moore. And I think just of how Royals fans and the organization operates. Sometimes I think we're just loyal to a fault. And, and, and I think uh, our organization really like values you know, players like, like wit, like people who are like really loved, beloved in the community. And I think it's because like, there's so many scars from like those early two thousands and late nineties where it's like players constantly like were and left, left Kansas city. And we've kind of held on to guys longer than we probably should have. Right. It's like, I I think, um, you know, we saw that with, kind of 2017 it's like well why weren't we flipping Hosmer when we could why weren't we flipping Mustakis when we could or Lorenzo Cain and getting prospects we know that they're not going to stay after this year but it's it, that's just kind of not how um 
Dade Moore kind of operates that he kind of like maximizes it. And even with Alex Gordon, it was kind of like, Hey, like, should we really keep Gordon long-term? Does this really fit? But it's like, he, he's such a figure in the community. And I think we're seeing that with wit. It's like, I mean, my gosh, like his name's two hit wit. And if he gets two hits, like one of the grocery store gives like free two liters of Pepsi every time he gets it. So it's like, it's like, well, we can't, we can't lose this price chopper. Here guys. Um, so, um, I don't go either. That's that. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, and I think it's. I think that's. I, I personally think like, wow, that would have made a lot of sense. It would have really restocked our system, and especially the Royals. You know, even though the system is growing, it's still you know it's in the hitting end. They're still in need of kind of supplementation. Like, there's definitely some more. Uh, hitting prospects are definitely um, less plentiful than pitching prospects in the system, but. I'm not surprised just because I, I just think that's how Dave Moore is. He's like, look, it's like, I'm not, I'm not going to try to be a Billy Bean. I'm not going to try to be, you know, an Andrew Cashman. I like, I'm, I'm, I'm a baseball guy and there's positives and negatives to that. And I think, so I think baseball fans really appreciate it because they get as Royals fans are seeing their players as long as possible, which wasn't the case, you know, like 20 years ago. But I think sometimes is it the best long-term? And I, I, I think you could argue that. Yeah, that's probably evident too in uh, the Salvador Perez extension, and uh, he's uh, he's mashing for y'all right now. Uh, currently second in the team in OPS with 808. Carlos Santana is at the very top at 831. So uh, yeah, uh, every time I turn my head, I'm always hearing something about Salvador Perez. So pretty dope. Oh my goodness. So I wanted to talk next about pitching matchups, but I don't think the pitching matchups have even been announced for this weekend. Uh, so we'll just go ahead and skip over that part. Um, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about Danny Duffy. Uh, he's been kind of on a tear lately. Uh, so I've written a couple of short blurbs about him, but I'm sure you know, like a, a wealth of knowledge more than I do. Yeah. So- oh, yeah. So Danny, Danny Duffy has been just a really interesting story this year. Um, you know, the last couple of years, a lot of Royals fans have been kind of clamoring him to move to the bullpen. Um, he's kind of been one of those starters. He looks great through the first time through an order, but by the time he gets to the second or third time in the order, he kind of gets, um, he's been kind of getting hits, gets hit hard. Um, you know, he's had really high home run rates, um, you know, the last few seasons, um, like, uh, his home run, the fly ball rate was over 13%, both in, uh, 2019 and 2020. Um, and so a lot of people were feeling like, Hey, maybe Duff should be moving to the bullpen, especially in his last year, maybe get some value as maybe a setup man or maybe possible closer down the road. But, um, you know, the Royals would needed pitching depth. Um, and so they, uh, decided to keep him in the rotation and he's been outstanding and it's really interesting because he's in a contract year. So he's, you know, they, mm-hmm. they, it was basically between him and Salvi were the only two major decisions that they, well, him, Salvi and Solaire were the major decisions and then they signed Salvi and then there, the, um, a lot of Royals fans were wondering, well, what's going to happen to Duffy? Um, and right now it's, it's, it's a really interesting case because I think a lot of Royals fans thought, well, if they move him to the bullpen, maybe we can re-sign him as a reliever. Now it's showing that he's like, Hey, he's still got some stuff left in the tank. Mm-hmm. And it becomes an interesting trade question because again, Duffy is another guy who's been a Royal his whole career. Um, He's, you know, he's one of the, I, I believe he set a record. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he's one, he's already like in the top. If you go to 
baseball reference. He's one of the top 24 Royals in terms of, in terms of war and uh, B war. And, and, and right now, and he's never made the, the impression that he wants to leave Kansas city. Um, You know, one of his famous sayings after he signed his first extension was, Hey, bury me as a Royal. And that seems to be, to continue to be the case. Number one in B war, by the way. He is the the top royal in B War currently. Right. Wow. So yes. And <laughs> so, yeah. And so there, there's there's a lot of possibilities that hey, not only is Duffy maybe worth another extension, like this is a guy who could maybe possibly be in the Royals Hall of Fame, a candidate for that. You know, and I think and I think that's going to be a really cool dilemma for Moore because I, I don't know how many good seasons you have left of Duff, for, for Duffy. And while this is really nice, you know, with starting pitching being such a valuable um, asset on a lot of teams, you could, if the Royals season goes south and it's like, hey, we're not a playoff team. Well, obviously Duffy would make a lot more sense being traded and getting a prospect haul and continuing to look for the future. And especially with so many pitching prospects um, that the Royals have, you know, it, it, it doesn't make much sense to say that, well, um, you know, we need to hold on to this guy. You know, they have Mike Miner for another year at least. Um, you know, they have Brad Keller, though. Keller's been kind of a hot mess this year. And, you know, they've already debuted. I mean, they've had Singer. They have Chris Bubich, and they just debuted Daniel Lynch. And Jackson Coar is off to a strong start in AAA, so he's probably on his way soon. And so I think that's the dilemma that we're seeing is that this is really fun to see from Duffy. I, I think I think one of the fun things this year has been him switching to the number 30 um, in honor of Jordano Ventura. No Royal has been number 30 since Jordano died and Duffy and Jordano were like, really close. And so, and I think, you know, there's a lot of fun with that. And this is just a great story um, for Duffy. Um, and so I think that's going to be the dilemma for more. Is he going to be thinking more from a sentimental end and saying, Hey, this is, this guy is the heart and soul of the Royals with Salvi. We got to keep this going in order to, to um, go into the next era. But then also it's like the Royals also need to make their own era. And I think sometimes that's the problem is the Royals constantly are holding on to these 2014, 2015 days. I mean, just recently they signed Alcides Escobar to a triple A contract. Oh man. That's a name I have not heard in a while. (laughs) Former yeah. Charlotte Knight, I'll see this. Former Charlotte Knight, and uh, <laughs> I can't remember the the Nippon baseball team he was playing for, but it was. But again, that's again, it's like, why are we signing this guy? I'll see this Escobar. A lot of it's kind of like, well, we're holding on to this nostalgia, and while that's important, you also have to say, like, hey, what's the next generation of Royals going to look like? And I and I think is moving on from Duffy the right thing to do. I'm not sure. And I think Dayton Moore is trying to figure that out too. As White Sox fans, yeah, we too uh, suffer from a lot of uh, nostalgia. What's the right term for it? Maybe, I don't, I don't want to call it like drunkenness. It, it, it's definitely, um, yeah, we, we get intoxicated off nostalgia very frequently. And I think uh, especially when uh, Tony La Russa had to firmly state that uh, there was no fit for Albert Pujols in the organization. Um yeah. At first, I was like, well, well, obviously, obviously. But second of all, it's like, no, no, absolutely. Um, so um, the way I picture it is that probably, um, yeah, Jerry was like, we have Albert Pujols at home in the form of your mean Mercedes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, 
So, so you mentioned Brady Singer earlier. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I've had my eye on him for a while and some other prospects and rookies that I've, I've uh, had my eye on too, uh, guys like Kyle Isbell. Uh, also, too, I know that Sebastian Rivera was just called up uh, this past week and was supposed to – or no, apparently he's going to start this weekend uh, against the White Sox. Uh, so, yeah, what are some uh, prospects slash rookies that we should be uh, on the lookout for? Yeah, I think, um, you know, Singer's been really – a great story so far. Uh, he's definitely been, he's one of my favorites of kind of those Royals pitching prospects, which include Lynch, Coar, um, recent 2020 pick, Asa Lacey, um, and Chris Bubich. Um, and, I, and Singer's an interesting uh, story because he's kind of a two-pitch pitcher. Um, he's kind of relies heavily on his sinker and his slider. Um, he does throw a changeup, but he, he, in his really good starts, he really doesn't utilize it that much. And he really doesn't, and he doesn't really throw it that much beyond left-handed batters. And even then it's a small percentage, but his command is, is very good. Um, he's got a great presence on the mound and he really attacks hitters really well. Like there's a definite maturity to singer, but it's kind of singer is kind of the high floor guy. Um, the high kind of ceiling guy seems to be Daniel Lynch um, who just had a disastrous start on Saturday. <laughs> I was at a party and I had to bartend and a couple friends came in and they're like, I turned off my notifications for the Royals game. And I'm like, Oh, how was it going? Like, it wasn't good. Like it was like, <laughs> runs already. And I was like, what? Cause I went to the Lynch um, MLB debut and on Monday night. So I went in person and I bought tickets. Um, I, I had a chance way back uh, when I first moved to Kansas city to see your Donald Ventura's MLB debut. And I had like grad school and, and I always regretted the decision. I was like, God, why did I didn't just go to that? And so I was like, any I'm going to show up. Um, but you know, I, I think Singer is is is, is going to be probably the best pitcher, starting pitcher at the end of the year for the Royals. I, I really believe in his stuff. Um, in terms of other prospects, you know, Kyle Isbell got off to a rough start, um, but it was also like he last major or minor league level he played was high A. And right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he had a really bad strikeout rate. It was like a 41.7% strikeout rate, but he's doing okay in Omaha. I could see him coming back in July and being a really good player. He, he's kind of a very high uh, high floor, low ceiling guy, but I think the Royals need guys like that, um, especially developed within their system. Rivero's a really interesting case because he's a really uh, fast riser. You know, if you looked at any like prospect lists, like the last few years, like, he's either been really low on them or he's, been non-existent and but he made a lot of gains in the alternate site um his defense his his game calling is really lauded and his offense is starting to come through a little bit um another guy that i think will be really worth watching too is um edward Oliveras, who had a good um who, who came over from san diego um last year in the trevor rosenthal trade he didn't do bad um in his first uh MLB stint with the Royals. He didn't do great with the Padres, but he did much better with the Royals. He's had some defensive issues. He last played in double a in 2019, but he was a Texas league all-star. Um, he's got a lot of speed power, power potential. Um, um, and he's doing really well in Omaha. He's been right now the first week he's been the storm chasers best hitter. Um, he was kind of a guy who was demoted early because he just had so many defensive miscues. And when you got him and Jorge Soler out there, it's like, one's got to go and you just got to go with seniority there. <laughs> so, um, but it's, um, I, 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 Oliveris, I could see up coming up, um, 
for a quick call up. And of course, the question here in Kansas City is when is Bobby Witt coming up? It's I think everybody's talking about when's Witt coming up. And I'm glad kind of the Royals got to see Isbell up um, because I think some people were like, oh, Bobby Witt should be up immediately. And it's like, well, he's only played rookie ball and he didn't even do that great in rookie ball. Let's cool the Jets. And I think, you know, if Isbell is going to struggle after playing in high high A, what's um, it going to be looking like for Witt? Um, I think I think Witt's going to be a great player. I do think it's going to be some time, um, but he's an interesting one. He's in double A, Northwest Arkansas. He's had a bit of a rough start um, to start the year. I think there's probably just some adjustments and pressure coming from, um, you know, with all this hype, but um, I really am looking forward to what he can do. And I think he's definitely one of the worth watching um, of the position players. What was yeah. somebody that uh, when they, when they draft, when the Royals drafted him, he was such like the chosen one prospect that I was like, the only reason that I wasn't totally scared as a White Sox fan is like, okay, it's going to be several years until, you know, we see him at the major league level. But um, yeah, it, it, and it actually sounds good that maybe he's not going to be up ex- super soon, uh, maybe a little bit still ways away, at least as far as, you know, work and Janice and I are concerned. Uh, but no, he definitely, I just remember, you know, reading about him and, and watching all the, you know, features about him when um, even prior to the draft. And it seemed like he was, you know, every bit the the prospect that um, that he was kind of sold as essentially, or could be, I should say. Cool. All right. So kind of segueing into this. Uh, yeah. So we do this with pretty much all of our guests uh, who cover other teams. Uh, but yeah. So uh, let's make a deal. Uh, so what White Sox players would you hypothetically want on the Royals? And uh, what, what, what do you think it would take to uh, to, uh, to to bring said players over? I think one guy I really like and I think would be really good in Kansas city. It just kind of fits like that Royals mold would be Luis Robert. Like I, like I just, I, I, he's kind of like, he's very toolsy. He like, he's got, he's a great defender. He's very fast. You know, he's like, I think he would remind a lot of Royals fans like, as like, like Lorenzo Kane, just kind of that really exciting player that that's playing in center field. Um, what would it take? It would take a heck of a lot. Like that, like that's like that's like that guy's not going to come cheap. Um, you know, I, I don't. I, I'd be really interested to see like would would the Royals pitching depth be helpful? Because I do feel like the White Sox have so much young pitching, like in that top levels. Um, so that would be really interesting to see if what what would it take in terms of getting Luis. Like it might have to be like it would probably have to be like something like a Bobby Witt for Luis Robert kind of deal, like. Your no. entire your entire farm system for the most part. I, I, I would have taken. I would have accepted like um, in, you know, manager X just to just so we didn't have to have Larusa here in Chicago. But unfortunately, Mike Matheny is like the one manager that I wouldn't be running to Chicago to replace uh, Larusa. But that does get me to my next question, and that is about Mike Matheny. Um, uh, obviously had you know success in in St. Louis. Uh, now being now uh, in Kansas City. Um, what is sort of from what, what's the temperature right now, as far as how do Royals, from what you can tell, um, how do Royals, if you can kind of get the, the read on the, the fan base, how, how have they liked Matheny's time in, in Kansas city so far? You know, I think he's, he's been a real, uh, surprise and, and I was not 
really on the Matheny board, um, bandwagon when he was hired initially. Um, I, I kind of wanted the Royals to kind of maybe go internally. Uh, Pedro Grafal was kind of a guy that I really liked, especially with his work with uh, um, the players from Latin America um, and just his general like respect in the organization. Um, you know, I, you know, it's, it's kind of funny is kind of our more is kind of known a lot for like stuff off the field um, rather than necessarily on the field. And that's both good and bad. Like I think Dade Moore has done a lot of stuff to like really help, you know, um, you know, urban base, urban baseball or baseball in urban communities. Um, you know, the urban youth Academy was something that he really helped push. And it's just an amazing facility um, in our, in the heart of Kansas city. Um, but it's also, there's also some things that really kind of, I think kind of uh, fans find a little weird. Like I know kind of like with the anti-porn thing and kind of like being like really, um, really focusing on being like very overly Christian. And there's always been some kind of talks that maybe he kind of, that may sways his decision-making more than baseball decision-making. Um, but, and there was some thoughts about that with Matheny. They're thinking, well, are they, is it because, you know, they have these similar values, which is important. I mean, you need that, but um, was Matheny the best fit after kind of how things ended in St. Louis? Um, but, you know, he's Matheny's been really outright about what he did wrong and he's actually kind of, um, kind of acted on it. Um, you know, he's really been supportive of the young guys. You know, there was times last year where, you know, some Royals fans were just coming after Alberto Mondesi with his struggles and Matheny was kind of very, you know, really supportive. And he just was like, Hey, like, this is our guy, you know, he's a young player. These things take time. Like we're not going to, we're not going to mess with his development, which was such a, like a flip of what we're kind of used to in St. Louis. Um, you know, and when he was first hired, he's like, well, I took like an analytics course. And some people were like, oh, great. Like he just took some <laughs> random analytics course. Like, okay, <laughs> Bill James all of a sudden. Um, but it was, uh, <laughs> but he, um, he's really been more open to that. And I think it's a, a, a huge contrast from what the Royals have seen from Ned Yost, uh, the previous manager, who mm-hmm. was, you know, very anti that stuff. And, um, and I, I think, uh, I, I think a lot of the Royals problems even during these struggles had not been with Matheny it seems like the Royals fans are still like behind Matheny um I think if anything Royals fans are probably just more frustrated with more there's and, and again it always happens this way anytime the Royals lose like Moore's should be gone and if if they they win it's like Moore's a genius and it's never really like it's never it's always up and down we're very uh, familiar with a, a similar kind of rhetoric in our fan base yeah, definitely <laughs> Yeah. And it's weird. Cause it's like, yeah, there, nobody's really coming after the manager so much. And, and I think, and I think Matheny, I like, I really like what he's done so far. I, I think he's, I think he's uh, the guy that they need right now. Um, and so I, I know like Sam, like your initial hesitancy, like it's, um, but I, but I definitely think, um, you know, I think in terms of managers we could have gotten, like, I think he's uh, been a really a good fit for our situation more than I would have expected. You know, a pleasant surprise overall. (laughs) Oh, sorry, Uh, Sam. No, I was just going to say, speaking of Ned Yost, that Ned Yost is the only reason why I feel like the White Sox can win a world series with Tony (laughs) 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 LaRusso. Yeah. Yeah. Yost is probably the most LaRusso like manager I can think of in, in recent history. I don't know if that's like recency bias or whatnot, but uh, yeah, I'm just, just thinking about Ned Yost is like, wow, the White Sox might actually have a chance. 
it's still one of the most shocking things, right? It's like Ned Yost, the guy who was fired right before the Brewers run, like in the playoffs, and and somehow won won a World Series. Like that's just like it's. I think if we look back, it's just like that's probably going to be one of the craziest things I think as yeah. well we'll realize. Yeah. So, so kind of a, a frequent uh, stream of dialogue that we see uh, in White Sox land uh, in White Sox Twitter is that a lot of folks will either uh, say, uh, oh, the team is winning in spite of La Russa, or um, on the other hand, uh, say after a loss. And, and I do think there have been some losses where La Russa's decisions were a direct uh, result of, of that loss, right? Did I say that backwards? Anyway, y- y'all know what I'm getting at. So <laughs> Would you say that was kind of a similar uh, similar sentiment with Ned Yost as manager of the Royals? Yeah, I think so because you one of the best games I've ever seen. I wasn't there unfortunately, but just watching was that A's Royals wild card game, right in 2014. Mm-hmm. I thought probably Yost was going to be fired after the game when he brought in Jordano, and Jordano mm-hmm. like gave up like that all like all those runs to give the A's the lead, you know, grand, like, and that's, that's kind of the, what if, like, what if like the Royals had never come back, Yost would have been probably fired. They would have had a new manager and who knows if they would have won. Um, you know, I think it's, I think we're a lot of baseball fans are starting to realize that it's like, okay, managers aren't as much getting the brunt of vitriol as much nowadays as they, as they used to. Right. It's like, I think back like in eighties, nineties baseball, it was like the manager was the guy that, that did everything. And then Moneyball comes out and now becomes the general manager as everybody like is wants to hate now. Right. And so I, I definitely feel you with that Ned Yost, um, you, you talks and, um, and it, you know, he was a fun guy and I think, um, but I definitely think it was the right time to move on. Yes, indeed. Oh, Sam, look, you look like you have a question in your eyes. I had a, I had a quick one, uh, just kind of looking outside, looking outside of the White Sox and the Royals uh, within the, but staying in the AL Central. Um, do you have any read on, on what's going on with, uh, with Minnesota, as far as they're kind of a team that, um, you know, I think that both the Royals and the White Sox are very happy to see the start that they've gotten off to. But again, um, you know, if you look, if, you know, anyone who's sort of digging into the numbers a little bit, that's, that's a team that uh, should probably have a better record than, than they do. Um, but they're, but the record is what it is and they put their, they've dug themselves into a pretty deep hole so far. Um, so what, where do you think, you know, how do you think that this is going to play out for them this, this year? You know, I'm having a hard time with that too, honestly. Um, you look like I'm looking at their depth chart, right? Like on fan graphs and, and you look at him and it's just, and there's so many names on there. You're like, Hey, these guys are like, these guys should be good. Right. And it's, you got Josh Donaldson, you got Nelson Cruz, right. You got Miguel Sano back. Um, you got Angelton Simmons and then your rotation, right. You got Barrios and Maeda and Pineda and it's, and it's not working. And I, and I think, I think the big thing, right. Is like Maeda's struggles. You know, I think that that's, that, that's had a huge impact. Um, you know, I think them, and I think I feel this way with the Indians too. It's kind of like you have your top hitters, right? It's like they had Cruz and Buxton producing, and then the rest was just not. It's like the Indians was the same way. It's like even when watching that Indian series, you're kind of like, I fear Reyes and I fear Ramirez. And then after that, I'm kind of like, okay, whatever, like we'll be fine. <laughs> so it's, um, and, and I, and I, I think, you know, the, the, I think it's always tough, right? Especially with some of these guys who are younger, because it seems like they're trying to go with internal to, to replace like some of their former players 
and, and I think we're seeing some of those effects, right, of that lost minor league season, right? It's like I think we're realizing that the alternate site is not a perfect replica, a replication, rep, uh, replicate of the of the minor league season, and mm. it's and I think we're and I think some of these guys that we thought hey, are going to come in and really be gangbusters like they've done in the past or are, are going to take some time. Yeah. And, and, I, and I see the Twins probably improving, but maybe they're – I think maybe instead of that 90 to 95 win team, I, I think maybe they're at 80, 80 to 85 win team. And I think I think they're probably going to be play better baseball. I always feel like – and when I remember Twins, like the Twins always have those – hot streaks right it's like oh like the twins are going to win 12 in a row and they're going to be the story of july like that wouldn't surprise me if that happens but unless we see something different from maeda like unless we're starting to see some real support from their younger guys like um whether it's like guys like kepler or garver or um you know or you know kirilov like you know though i think it's i think um this is probably going to be a team that's just going to miss the playoffs and even if they play like the baseball they can down the stretch well, yeah, one offseason signing the Twins did that I kind of laughed at. Everyone laughed at it. Uh, what was them getting J.A. Happ? Uh, so, so far, he's like he's their most effective pitcher. So through five starts, he's got a 191 ERA. Uh, is, he, is he starting tonight? No, tomorrow. tomorrow yeah. starting tomorrow. Okay, awesome. So uh, we'll, we'll see if, you know, the White Sox hit lefties uh, as well as they historically have. Uh, yeah, we'll see about that. We, we shall see about that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, all right. So just wrapping things up here, uh, by the way, thank you so much for sh- sharing your wealth of knowledge about the Royals. I, I have learned so much. Like yeah. I-, I came here just like knowing a couple of names off the top of my head and just from like doing my casual research when I'm writing uh, my fantasy blurbs. But like, I feel as if I know so much more about the Royals. Uh, so thank you. Oh, thank you. Uh, but uh, yeah, we got some questions about Kansas city now. Uh, so yeah. uh, call Kansas city home. Uh, so if, if I'm spending a weekend in Kansas city, what do I do? What do I eat? Where do I go? Like, well, what would be your ideal Kansas city weekend? Okay. So, um, so I, I, um, I live, well, I, I don't live there anymore, but I used to live. So there's one area that I really love in Kansas city and, um, uh, the school that I work is kind of near there. Um, it's called strawberry Hill. Um, it's kind of oh, reminds me yeah. a lot of, of like the Pilsen neighborhood in Chicago Oh, okay. Um, so, so kind of, kind of a lot like used to be older, like European kind of families, and now it's mostly, you know, Hispanic Latino families. Um, but there's like a really, it's a very walkable area. There's like, um, you know, there's like, there's like six, seven bars and like five Catholic churches within walking distance. Which I'm not sure if those things are related or not. But um, <laughs> so, um, where are the bars? Are yeah. <laughs> Right. At least I know where to find those two things. Um, okay, so, um, um, but um, you know that's a great area. Um, it's it's a very a great place for um, you know. There's a lot of great taquerias there. I think there was actually an article. I forgot what publication, but they said that KCK, which is like the taco capital of the world now, um, they, that that actually is that area where a lot of those are within walking distance. Um, you know, the, the Crossroads Arts District is really cool as well. Um, you know, it's becoming a little bit gentrified a little bit, but it's still like it's great um, when it comes to walk, walking around, seeing different galleries. But I think one of the biggest ones is definitely the Negro League Museum in off of 18th and Vine. That is one um, thing I would love to check out. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's actually combined with the American Jazz Museum. So you can kind of oh, wow. go both, which is Whoa. really, which I don't That's think. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. 
And 18th and Vine has a lot of great history. It, it really, I think the Negro League and the Jazz Museum in that area just kind of really like talk, like really show like the rich, um, you know, uh, history of, like, of African-Americans and African-American culture in that, in Kansas City. Um, and I, and I think um, the Negro League Museum is just, it's, it's a, I, even I go there all the time even as, um, as a resident here in Kansas city. And I feel like I take away something new all the time. And, mm-hmm. um, and Bob, Bob Kendrick, who runs the museum, you know, he's a great guy. He's always on Royals broadcasts. Um, and so that's, so I think that's another area that's really great in terms of food. I mean, obviously people talk about barbecue, people have their barbecue loyalties here. Like people have cheesesteak loyalties in Philadelphia. <laughs> and so, um, Mine is definitely Slaps Barbecue, um, which is in KCK. Um, you know, it's kind of a newer uh, place on the block, but it's really gotten a lot of steam the last five years. Um, and then I think another institutional one, I think, is El Seeks. And it's um, it's right near the stadium. It's like it's like literally because the stadium is not really in a downtown area. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of more um, outside of the city. But it's it's you drive into the stadium, you know, their owner who just recently passed away, unfortunately, but he used to always be sitting in the same spot, um, like in the in the restaurant. And um, and it's just a great place. Like I, it's, it's like I, you don't really you've never really had a good Royals experience until like you've driven by, gotten LCs and then ate LCs like in the tailgate of a stadium. Um, it's, it's to me, it's it's um, not just some of the best barbecue, but I think it's just part of the, that Kauffman stadium experience. Um, so LC's is another great place um, that I think is like, is a must for like any, um, any person visiting, especially if they're going to a Royals game. You know, as you're saying that it's, I, I just, it's occurring to me, like I, I've been to every um, AL central stadium other than Kauffman. So I got to, you have, a, you gave me a great list uh, for a road trip for sure. Yeah. And the nice thing about the, the crossroads too, great brewery scene there, great independent mm-hmm. brewery scene. There's I'm a listening. lot of small. <laughs> I love beer. So yes. And there's a lot of great places in the kind of the crossroads. And so that's another incentive too, that if you're like, like, Hey, like I love um, breweries in addition to Boulevard, it's like, there's a lot of small ones in the crossroads district and Boulevard and far either. I think it, it cut out whatever you just said, the last thing. <laughs> oh, sorry. Like with a Boulevard, I said it's right next to Boulevard Brewery, all those okay. crossroads. So it's like, so in addition to going to like the big craft brewery, you can also go to these, all these little ones that are really good as well. Okay. My goodness. I'm, I'm hungry now, but yeah. for <laughs> well, I'm also hungry for food too. I'm, I'm, I'm hungry for food, but beer. I, I think I said that once, like I'm, I'm hungry, but for beer. And my friend was like, I think you're think you're talking about thirst. <laughs> yeah, that's actually you're dehydrated. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so maybe that is my body telling me that I should probably uh, drink some water. Uh, but anyway, again, Kevin, thank you so much uh, for joining us here on Northside Socks. Uh, so, yeah, if uh, someone wanted to uh, follow you or read your work, where can they find you? Yeah, I mean, you can find me on Twitter at Royal Report Kev. So, uh, capital R, capital R, then a capital K. Um, I'm up, my work is on the RoyalsReporter.com. Um, so that's another. And I've also, I'm a contributor to Pitcher List. You know, between the end of the school year um, and the job search, new job, all these transitions, like I haven't been able to write as much as I'd like. Um, but at the same time, like 
um, just a great community there. Um, some great writers there. So, um, uh, I definitely, it's definitely been a, I've learned a lot just writing there at pitcher list. So definitely a plug for that site if for any baseball fans or fantasy baseball fans in general. So. Absolutely. Yeah. A pitcher list in general is a, a friend of the pod. So we're always happy to have more and more pitcher list folks uh, on the show. Uh, but uh, yeah, anyway, that does it for this episode of Northside Sox. Uh, I'm Janice Scurrio. With me always is the wonderful Sam Sherman. Sorry, I, I, I should, should have let you say your own name, but I, I just no, like that's... your name on my, on your on your behalf. <laughs> <laughs> I like it better that way. <laughs> Again, thanks so much to Kevin O'Brien for joining us. I hope all of y'all have a lovely weekend.